Hi, I'm Bob Eckblad. Welcome to my podcast, Disciple, Word, Spirit, Justice, Witness. Here I am in Vevey, Switzerland, with two good friends, David and Miriam Bouillon. I've known them for many, many years. David is a professor of um, practical theology at the Haute École de Théologie here in Vevey, and he's also a Reformed church pastor. And we met each other in France, where he was a pastor of the church, Église uh, Protestant Unie, for many, many years. But he's originally from Belgium. And David, um, um, I'm going to introduce Miriam after this, but David, can you tell me, um, what does it mean for you to be a disciple of Jesus? And then afterwards, I want to ask you what you think are sort of the really important things that disciples of Jesus should have, uh, should be thinking about, praying about, aware of in the times that we live in. But first, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? When you when you said before that you would ask me the questions, I started thinking about it. And um, I think my first answer would be that I have to dislearn, if I, would, I can use the word in English, mm-hmm. because I'm... Unlearn, maybe. Unlearn, yes. Um, my my father is a pastor, so I grew up in a church environment. I was always surrounded by many people involved in different ministries. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, after some years, I became also a pastor. And I'm a teacher in a Bible school. And I think to be a disciple means to challenge uh, my most of my professional uh, life, where uh, it's my daily task to be a professional Christian. And I think your question is very challenging that to be a disciple means also to step out of some comfort zone that we have as Christians. So what is the difference between being a disciple of Jesus and being a professional Christian? I think being a disciple is always going outside of what you know. And I see it in the the gospel and especially in the book of Acts that every time they they think they they have achieved something, something new happens and it's a big challenge. And um, I became more aware of it living in Switzerland because it's a it's a country in Europe where Christianity has been influencing society in, in a way totally different from France. France has a long history now of uh, separating church and society, but Switzerland is not, not the case. And so usually, especially in the traditional churches like the Reformed Church, we, it's we're not very used to being involved with um, new challenges. And most of the time, we just like, uh, we are trained how to run a church or to make people feel happy being Christians. And we're not so much concerned about what's happening outside of our security uh, zone. So now, as we, as you look at the world, the times that we're living in, what do you feel are the most important um, things for us as followers of Jesus to be aware of and to be uh, maybe preparing for or 
or just you know just protecting ourselves and our, our people from something that I've been thinking all through summer and that I want to share with the students in the coming semesters is how we can uh, raise up to the challenges of these days that uh, I think we're not really prepared. We have lots of information coming from governments that uh, the winter will be hard because lack of energy and electricity and everything will cost uh, way more. So uh, we were used to a very comfortable life and it seemed that it will be a big challenge. And I think for me to be a disciple is to, to be willing to accept that sometimes everything that we take for granted can be removed and doesn't mean we, we will lose our peace and hope and also the trust that we have in God. And I think usually we, it's very theoretical. We, we think that if it would happen someday, we would face the challenge. But now that we are just about to face it, I'm not so sure that I'm, I'm really ready. So I want to really work on it and prepare myself and also maybe help others to be prepared. And because disciples, what I see in the gospel and in the New Testament, they were all, always facing uh, rough situations and it never stopped them f from sharing the gospel or reaching out to people in need. So that I think it would be my first concern. And second, I think the big challenge that I, I think about is the, the message of the Bible is a message of freedom, starting with Moses and taking the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt and also going to a land that is a land where God has lots of promises for his people and also the church is really rooted in freeing people from many situations. And my, my understanding of the our Western culture now is that in so many ways we're not free people because there's a lot of addictions. Like I was addicted to some games on my phone and I really had to <laughs> decide, okay, I have to remove them. I, I had to do it two or three times before I managed to success. And I see it in many ways that we live in a society that wants people to be into some sort of a dependence. And I think the church should really stand for, for the freedom that we have from God. And it means in many ways of our daily life that we have to let the Holy Spirit show us where we have bondages and how Jesus can free us. And I think it's, for me, it's one of the big challenge and we've been talking about it recently. What are some of the dangers that you see out in the world that are threatening the, the really good liberating message of Jesus that uh, are maybe pretending to be that message, but are, but, are, but are distracting people away from that message. I think that if you really experience the freedom that is received through Jesus, you, you, you also have a freedom to relate to other people, whatever their lifestyle or their opinion. And as we were talking today together, that we see it in many countries, especially in Western countries, that opinions are becoming more extreme and there's a polarization and people really stick to their opinion and think we are right and the others are wrong. 
and because of this very it's becoming difficult to relate to other people when you deal with because it can be very quickly violent and uh, also the language is not really nice and uh, i don't see the church to be a place where that kind of attitude should be welcome because it should be the opposite because we we see it from the bible that we come from so many different backgrounds and culture and languages and we know that in when we will be in eternity that the people of god will, will be so diverse and the church should be a place for people to relate to each other and i think it's one of the good challenge we have in our school it's i think one of the first one in french-speaking countries in europe where we bring students from all the denominations we are teachers we are from different denominations and so far we have been able to relate to each other in a very um, positive way and I think it brings a lot also to the studies to learn to to discover who you are truly but also that you can be a better uh, person if you make room also for other opinions. So we've talked a lot together about uh, Christian nationalism and how it's on the rise in many countries in the United States and in European countries and and just also the rise of populism and and people reacting against immigrants, refugees, and, you know, and economic uh, stresses that they feel. What do you, do you see that as a problem? And what would you say is the, the, the remedy for that? Well, it's true that in many European countries, we have also a rise of uh, nationalistic parties. And we see year after year, they have more people voting for them. And uh, for some time uh, in our countries, all the other parties try to create kind of a defending alliance, not to allow this extreme party to come into the actual political life, but it's becoming less and less possible. And uh, recently with the situation in Ukraine and the war, I was really concerned that all the Western countries came together pretending we are defending freedom and uh, we are defending human values against Putin, who is supposed to be an evil one. And um, and I think it's it's kind of a idolatry of our of our own culture. We think that we are the best ones and that we stand for what is right, even though we know that in our country there are so many wrongdoings. So it's not, maybe a, it's different from nationalism, maybe in America, but it's, I think it's the same attitude that you, you think of yourself in, of being the good ones and you see the other as being the bad one. And, um, I don't think it's the attitude Jesus would value because he, he was attracted to people who were considered to be bad ones. And he would like remind them that they're in the eyes of the Father, in the eyes of God, there's no bad people. They are sinners, but they're not bad. And they, they have value. And when Jesus told the story about the, the shepherd who was reaching out to the lost sheep, I think it, it's a strong reminder that where God is standing and very often is not standing with majority 
it's a majority think we are the right ones, the righteous, like the, if I can use the language of the gospel. So um, we've talked also, uh, as we've been together, about the rise of anti-Semitism. And what do you think, uh, why, is, why is there a rise in anti-Semitism in Europe right now and other places around the world, I imagine, too? And how uh, do you think disciples of Jesus uh, should be resisting that? I think anti-Semitism is a, is a spiritual problem. And it's different from other social issues. It's, uh, and I've been living in Israel twice for one year. And uh, one of my grandfathers, the father of my father, uh, during the last war, in, or before the war, he was a member of the fascist party in Belgium. And, um, and because of his involvement with the fascist party, after the war, he was sentenced to some time in jail. And it was kind of family secret, and I just learned about it when I was 15 or 16. It was a big shock because when my grandfather left uh, prison, he, he re became a believer and in the Pentecostal church. And through his reading of the Bible, and he was reading it really every day for a long time. And really reading the Bible changed his opinion. And that's why for me it was so hard to figure out that my grandfather was an anti-Semite at some point because... When I grew up, I just saw him that he was so much in love with the Bible and the people of God. He was always very teaching us how to, we have to respect the Jewish people. And so, and um, we never talked about this with my grandfather, but my father explained to us that also his own journey, learning about Judaism, that very often as a pastor, he met people who had kind of anti-Semitic feelings. And, most of them needed some, some form of deliverance. And uh, I remember one story my father told of a, a guy he had played, he was a, a professional uh, player for theater and he played the role of Hitler in a play. And afterwards he was really, uh, his mind was totally disturbed and couldn't find solution with psychiatrist or drugs or so came to my father, my father offered him to pray and just like, he said, okay, you repeat after me and he studied, Lord, I repent for this hatred. And when he was supposed to repeat, he changed his voice and he was like, he ran out of the room and he said, listen, sorry, but I cannot do it. And uh, there was that guy, I think he committed suicide a few months later. And, uh, and I think the rise of anti-Semitism should be taken really seriously by the churches. It's not just like that you have a bunch of like stupid and crazy people who are conspirationists. I think it's really uh, something we have to address very spiritually and also because we have built up better relations with the Jewish communities after the war. Uh, they are really concerned because they thought that they would have, have some peace after the war because anti-Semitism would be really erased from culture and from education. And I'm really worried in France, it's a big problem because every day you have uh, people who are uh, in the street, they have problems. So for me, it's, um, it's also a sign that we, we have to be serious with when it comes to, to spiritual involvement. And so nationalism is a problem, but anti-Semitism, and I think we will see more problems that's 
uh, will force us as Christians and as disciples, because you asked me the question, what's to be a disciple? I think a disciple is someone who receives through the Holy Spirit the ability to discern uh, where we have to stand for Jesus to be victorious. And that's why I said also, if you're in a church and it's just part of your daily life, sometimes you miss the point because it's become routine and you're not uh, really aware of the confrontation that you have to face. And I think more and more we have to be less uh, social Christians and becoming more disciples, who, like disciples we see in the New Testament. We are When we are faced with evil and hatred and uh, injustice, uh, we shouldn't be like just soft uh, response. We should be really praying and fasting and uh, addressing this issue. So um, those of us who are followers of Jesus, you know, we need to remember that Jesus was a Jew and his, his first disciples, the 12, they were, they were Jews. And so uh, following Jesus is following, uh, is embracing him as Israel's Messiah and the world's savior. And that's something that we, we learn when we read the, the Bible, right? Um, what else would help us have the right uh, sort of attitude uh, towards the Jewish people? Uh, can you give us some more ideas? I know you've thought a lot about this and you've traveled Israel many times. And, uh, but what, what else uh, can you say that would help us uh, resist this tendency of anti-Semitism? I think we, from the beginning, we see that um, mankind has a problem with the way God is leading history. And from the Garden of Eden, we have the voice of the snake who says, has God really said that? And I think we could see it so many times throughout the uh, biblical history, through the church history, that so often we, we think we are smarter than God. And so we're not willing to follow the path that is uh, offering us. And when we come to the question of uh, the Jewish people and the non-Jewish people, we have to acknowledge that the Jewish people is no, it's not a better people. It's just a special people that God has decided with a special call. When he called Abraham, he said, I will make you a people. And then all the families of the earth will be blessed. So when Israel is created through the will of God, it doesn't mean for other nations they have no room or no importance for God because God wants blessing for all of mankind. But I think throughout history we see that we're not okay with God's way of doing things. Uh, like when we have the story of Cain and Abel, also, God is acting a strange way because he agrees one of the offering and not the other one. But I think it's a test that Cain was, should have understood that God's ways are good ways. And instead of that, he decided that God's ways is a wrong way. And even though God reached out to him, he decided instead to kill his brother. And I think that's what we've done also many times in the history, that being non-Jewish, we, we are jealous of the, the special call that Israel has received and we want to, to suppress him. And, uh, and in many situations, we see that what we do to the 
the Jews, we do to others. Like uh, in the history of the United States, when the first uh, immigrants came, it was not an empty country. You had uh, like uh, people who had been living there for centuries, maybe more than a few thousand years, and then you decided they're primitive and we can replace them. And we see it also in the history of the church. Sometimes Protestants feel that we are better Christian than Catholics. Or if you're an evangelical, you think you're better than a Presbyterian. And so we have this tendency to, to decide what is best for us and not to listen to God because he knows what is best for us. And if we don't follow God's path, we, we are creating our own path. And this path, they lead to violence, they lead to oppression, they lead to, to death. Well, thank you so much, uh, David. It's really, really interesting what you have shared with us. And uh, I'd like to uh, turn now to Miriam. Uh, Miriam is uh, uh, David's wife, and uh, Miriam's a French woman. And she has uh, been working for a number of years now uh, for a, a, a Swiss NGO that works with people groups or nation states that are struggling um, with wars and famines. And her organization actually is focused on, on helping people who are from hard to reach countries. And so Miriam, can you tell us a little bit about what you do and what your organization does? And, and then afterwards, I have a few more questions. So it's an organization that is uh, 30 years old, and uh, it was created by a couple. There were, um, uh, yeah, uh, doctors and Christians, and they really wanted to, to, uh, to make in practice what they have in their faith. And um, what they had also in their mind is to be the, head, the hands of, uh, of Jesus more than uh, the tongue <laughs> and uh, to put in practice what they see in the gospel. And so since then, uh, yeah, it became like a, a big uh, NGO, not as big as others that we can know, like UNHCR, or like uh, USAID, USAID, or like uh, the Red Cross, but um, it's still a big one and we are working in 12 to 15 countries um, and we are giving some relief in health, in shelter, wash, nutrition, psychologist support as well. And um, yeah, that's what we do. So uh, what's the name of the organization? So the name is Meder, and uh, yeah, there is a website, meder.org. So what are some of the countries that you are working in, and what are the biggest uh, challenges that you uh, that you see that, that you're facing as you're trying to, to help these uh, vulnerable people groups? So the one of the challenges is that uh, we come uh, and we need to st sometimes to to start from scratch and uh, we come with a lot of ideas but the thing is that we need to make some assessment to see really what is the needs of uh, of the country and this is what we saw especially in Ukraine lately because we are used to go to 
uh, African countries to Middle East countries. And in African countries, we know how to do wash, for example. It's very basic, like bringing water in remote places or in hard, rich places. And um, But when we go to a country like Ukraine, it's really different. So the first thing is to just to listen to what they need and to respond to their need and um, also the, the need that the government cannot bring. So the countries, some of the countries you're working in would be Yemen, um, um, Somalia, Sudan, um, countries like that, right? Uh, Afghanistan. Um, when you look out at the challenges that you see that these countries are facing, um, and as a disciple of Jesus, what do you think that Christian disciples today should be aware of? Like, what are some of the things that you see that you think other people should know about? Mm -hmm. So it's very a plus to be a, a Christian in that kind of uh, work and in those kind of places, I think. And this is what I get also from my colleagues. And um, because um we have this freedom inside of us in those kind of countries and we we want to honor the the country that is hosting us because not all the countries make this decision to have a humanitarian help so we want to honor and we we are also accountable for this country like for what we do and everything so, but at the same time, we really, really want to do it another way. And the feedback that we get from the people from those countries, and especially also the colleagues, because we are hiring also people from those countries working with us, is that, um, yeah, we do it in another way. And it's more about the attitude. And if we have this... Um, this call to be the hands of God in a country, then we need to have the whole body like tes testifying his attitude. And I think this is the most big challenge for us, but it's also what is the feedback that we get is that it makes the difference compared to other NGOs. So you are, you are trying to be the hands of, of Christ Jesus in these uh, places among people who are really suffering. Um, so, is there more that you uh, that you that you've learned as you've gone out? Like you've been to lots of countries, traveling, and what has touched you that you've seen um, out there? So, I didn't go a lot in the countries because I'm more working in the HQ. Um, but I've been there, and I'm traveling to visit the countries that I'm supporting. And I think one, yeah, I think the commitment of the people who are working with our organization from the country is very amazing. And also the, yeah, I can give like a, a testimony in Lebanon, for example. Um, so there, there was this uh, big blast, you know, like two years ago and uh, in Beirut and a lot of um apartments were just blow, blown up you know and um and one of our staff who is muslim she's 
said that uh, she was living in an apartment and in the middle of a, a building and only her apartment was not touched by this uh, by this you know all the the windows broken and everything and she told my colleagues who are christian i know that this is god and so she could testify also that god has protected her somehow and she said now i need to give back what i received and i want to work more and harder and so this was really a touching testimony that we can yeah we can be witness of god without speaking a lot but god is still revealing himself wow that's beautiful so um you know you're aware of so many huge needs of uh, of whole nations um many people talk about compassion fatigue in fact i think a lot of people just look at the, the global south or the middle east and countries that are in crisis and you know we hear about how things are going to get a lot worse with global warming and things are getting worse and, and there's famines in different countries how do you keep your hope um, alive and do you have anything to recommend for those of us who are listening about how we can you know kind of grow in our hope and avoid compassion fatigue mm -hmm. so The last trip I did when I came back in the plane, on the plane, I was praying and crying. And um, I asked God, I said, maybe I cr I'm closer to you now because I'm in the sky. <laughs> no. But I want to understand how do you deal with this human suffering? And how can you, yeah, how can you look at us And I know that you are so touched by what is happening on this earth. And how can you do and give me your hope? And the answer that I got is that the Lord showed me all the, um, the seeds of life that I saw during all my field trip. And all the people who are just raising from the uh, trash not like from the dash or something mm -hmm. like that and have this hope for the country have this hope for human and everything and i saw the life of god in those uh, attitude and the lord told me this is what i'm looking for and not i'm not concentrating on what is you know going very bad but i'm concentrating on what is Uh, giving life and um, it gave me hope as well and uh, it gave me hope also to continue because sometimes you are just feeling like what I do is nothing compared with what needs to be done but if we get the the eyes of God to see where the life is starting then it makes the difference Wow, that's really beautiful. So um, I feel like I, I want to pray that that would uh, we would have those eyes to see the positive, uh, to see the seeds of hope that are being sown and, and to even know um, maybe how to go about that more because it's true that it's easy to be overcome by evil and 
like Paul says in Romans 12, don't be overcome by evil. Well, that's, uh, he says that because it's easy to be overcome by evil, right? To just be distraught and discouraged and depressed and, and uh, you know, because there's so much darkness in the world, but it says overcome evil with good, right? So um, what are some of the ways that you think uh, you guys are able to do that in your organization, overcoming evil with good? Just a few ideas that come to mind. I think the first one is my attitude, <laughs> working in working, and it doesn't matter what I do. I think what we will remember of me is my attitude more than what I do. And this is where we can ask God to give us the his attitude and his, uh, yeah. And um, I think that when we accomplish, we see a lot of miracles <laughs> in our organization. And sometimes we have to finish, like last month, we had to finish a 1,000,000.5 USD project and we had one month to spend like everything and to do everything and um, and at the end of the month everything was done and so yeah we can see that there are a lot of miracles and we are so so happy because it gives it brings hope and life also and um yeah well thank you thank you so much and I don't know, David, do you have anything more you want to add to what you were saying? Or is uh, anything else either of you want to say to um, the listeners about just uh, things that we you feel are important for us to be aware of? Well, I think we are very blessed to work in two different dimensions. I've been a teaching institution sometimes. I have to reflect about situations and try to share them with the students. But with my wife, she's on the ground in the field, and um, even though sometimes she she's working from a remote position, but um, I think it's uh, I think it's we're asking the questions: What is to be a disciple? And I think it's uh, to be. To, to be good in these two attitudes, that a disciple is not only a doer, he's not only a thinker, I think it's the combination of both attitudes. And if you are, only have one, we miss something. And uh, I think it's important that also in, in the time that we are now, we, we find in the church people like what you do also, that your, your reflection that you offer and the insight you, you have from, from being very close to people at the margin, because usually the understanding these people have from the global situation is uh, sometimes more interesting and more challenging than the kind of uh, very clever uh, attitude we have in upper society. And usually we don't see the problems because we, we have money, we have work, we have a house, we have everything. And so we're not so concerned about uh, what's happening, but um, and I think if we if we have that reflection, understanding, and then if we try to find solution, I think it's uh, it's how we can be disciples because disciples they were not just like thinkers; they were 
acting like Jesus. And Jesus has a strong understanding of what's going on in the world because he, he sees it from the point of view of his father. But then, because he has this understanding, he acts. And I think it's something we have to discover again as churches and believers, not only to complain about society not being Christian like it used to be, but we have to have this understanding, the love of God, and then act. Wow, thank you so much, Danny. Um, Miriam, could you just pray for us? Whatever comes to your heart to pray to pray. Thank you, Lord, because you you are the master and we are your disciples. And thank you because you call us to be our disciples, your disciples. And uh, you call us by our name. And Lord, I just want to pray for everyone who will uh, listen to this uh, podcast, that they will be confident that you call them by their name and you call them for the good, for the good of your gospel and for the, the good of for their lives, but also for their community and society. And I thank you because you... You are with us every day until the end of the world, of, until the end of our world. And uh, we just want to praise you for that. Amen. All right. Well, thanks so much, David and Miriam. And God bless you in, in your family um, life and in your vocations. And just uh, may God bless you to be fruitful, even more fruitful than you've already been. And may the peace of Christ be with you and with all of us who are listening. In Jesus' name.